critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Brett, thanks for joining me and welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. Your role today is CEO of WeChat Africa, which is a pretty impressive title. Really interesting place to start on this one is that you were building your first computer at the age of 13. That is pretty impressive. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it wasn't exactly building my first computer, but I did write my first uh, computer game. Wow. Uh, at the age of 13 but it, it sounds more impressive than it really is so this this goes back many many years so back into the early 80s and we had a Sinclair ZX Spectrum with 16 kilobytes of memory which my dad bought for us and uh, we imported it over from the UK and for those that actually uh, had one of those machines back in the day uh, they'll know that the only way to actually get any kind of code running on the machine was to type it in. So through the process of just um, repeatedly typing in code, I kind of learned uh, how to write uh, a couple of programs in BASIC and, and ended up writing my first uh, computer game. It was a very, very simple affair, though. Well, it's a, it's a really cool thing to do, though. Uh, uh, at the age of 13, I think I was just playing games, never mind building them. So, uh, yeah, very, very impressive. And, and I read sort of through your background that as part of what you were doing, you were actually a product manager in Nokia. Obviously, the, I guess the climate for Nokia and the, the industry has changed significantly, hasn't it? But I guess there's a lot to be learned there for maybe the traditional financial players in this market. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, you know, so I joined uh, Nokia in early 2006. Um, you know, honestly, I didn't stay too long at the company because I believed that I picked up on some significant challenges that they had internally very quickly in a short space of time uh, after joining the company. But I joined in the heyday. You know, and if you, if you remember back in early 2006, the um, the rise of the camera phone was just starting to happen before we had any meaningful smart devices out in the in the market in a, in a, in a meaningful way. And it was a very exciting time to be uh, a part of Nokia. So I, I got a lot of criticism from friends and family and such uh, for jumping ship as quickly as I did. I mean, I only was uh, with Nokia a little more than one quarter. But in answer to the second part of your statement, the main reason was um, I just found the internal culture to be extremely focused on um, how amazing they were. Um, and there was a, an, an alarming lack of concern about what their competitors were doing at the time. And for me, this is a fundamental uh, problem. And I think it is exactly as you say, one of the, the key lessons for me that I think fintech players should be paying attention to is never underestimate the speed with which environments and, and specifically technology environments can change. And never underestimate your competitors. Always take them seriously. You know, there's a, a very famous uh, quote by 
Andy Grove. I probably will get this specifically wrong, but the the message is to be successful, you need to stay paranoid. And, you know, Andy Grove is one of the founders of Intel, um, and and I one hundred percent believe that this is one of the keys to success in business. Is always be paranoid about your competitors and what they're doing, uh, and never ever start uh, or ever get yourself into a position where you're uh, happy with your own success and the path that you're on. I think that's a pretty pretty impressive advice right there. I think comfort breeds contempt, doesn't it? So, uh, Absolutely. you know, uh, staying hungry is uh, is a critical thing. Now, Brett, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing at WeChat today. So, I mean, we've been um, running as a team looking after WeChat as a platform uh, on the African continent for roughly four years now. Um, and our primary mission was to see if we could find a meaningful product market fit for WeChat. I mean, if, I think for those that know, uh, the success story of WeChat in mainland China is pretty staggering. And we obviously, you know, being involved with uh, with Tencent as a company through my parent company, which is Naspass, the, a big shareholder at Tencent, has been quite an amazing journey. And our job has really been to promote WeChat and the add-ons that are made possible by the platform to see how we can actually leverage the platform to the greatest extent on the African continent. And, you know, that's eventually um, through the journey that we've had led to us uh, launching our WeChat wallet. And I guess part of the reason that we're having this conversation today, you know, because there's some pretty interesting stuff going on from a fintech point of view. Yeah, hugely. I think uh, Africa particularly is just such a hotbed for opportunities and, and change, isn't it? And particularly in the payment space, WeChat has been such a, an, an enormous success in China, hasn't it? I, I guess, how much of that are you looking to replicate with what you're doing? I guess, initially, both from a technology perspective, but also, you know, hopefully the uh, the results as well. <laughs> yeah, ideally all of it. <laughs> but the, I, I think the real challenge, though, is, you know, we face uh, completely different market uh, conditions here, you know. So, uh, starting out as a, a chat application, um, given the significant penetration of competitor products in Africa, um, you know, focusing on that particular um, that which, which really is the core competency and, and the core focus of what the product is, it, it didn't make sense to do that. So we focused very much on the platform, and it was the thing that got me. Um, incredibly excited about working on this project is the absolute power of the platform. When you start understanding that you can deliver web services through a chat application um, and then actually deliver transactional capabilities on the back of that, it just made so much sense for this content because of where it's at uh, from a fintech point of view um, and because of where it's at from an infrastructure point of view. So it it was such an exciting opportunity. So our, our plan was to kind of figure out how to leverage that in the best way possible. And this is the reason we focused on platform services more than the chat side of things. I mean, you know, for the most part, uh, phone-to-phone uh, low-cost chat is, was a solved problem in Africa, and we were fully aware of that. We believe that our approach has yielded some pretty interesting results. And, uh, you know, it's been a very, very exciting journey, I have to say. How are you going about, I guess, educating people in the the sort of local market of the additional values of, of that platform? Yeah, this is possibly the biggest challenge of all, right? So the the real issue we have is, you know, in this day and age with the, the incredible flood of information that uh, any human being has to deal with that has access to the internet, um, the incredible range and diversity of applications that we have access to, it's very, very difficult to stand out. So 
trying to educate people about uh, what your application does when it is uh, an application that has multiple layers of complexity that need exposing before value is actually achieved for the end user is a huge challenge. Um, and so what we did is we worked very closely with partners uh, who could leverage the platform very effectively. You know? So our first major push into showcasing the power and potential of what WeChat is as a platform was the launch of uh, Cliff Central. So we worked with a very bright young chap by the name of Gareth Cliff, who is uh, one of the biggest media personalities in South Africa. At the time, he was the most popular radio DJ on the biggest uh, free-to-air radio station in the country. And he was looking to launch something of his own and so we launched a digital radio station along with him on our platform. And that and that worked incredibly well because it achieved, you know, not only was there uh, the obvious benefit of, of partnering up with um, somebody who had a huge personal brand in South Africa, um, but also uh, the benefit of showcasing digital radio being delivered on a chat platform, which was a completely radical um, idea. And, and, and it had the effect that we needed, which was, stopping people in their tracks and going, hold on a second, this is more than a chat platform. So that was the huge impact that it had, and it was actually the objective that we were after. So that, that worked really well. And then in other territories, you know, um, where we didn't uh, have an opportunity like the Cliff Central op opportunity, we looked to focus in, in other verticals. So, for example, in Ghana, um, we launched with a television uh, station and we deployed a platform that allowed users to comment in real time uh, to live TV and have their messages stream across the screen. So in, in each instance, uh, we tried to find ways to showcase what the platform could do outside of person-to-person -person chat. Um, and we've had some success with some of those initiatives and some not so successful. You know? So it's been an, a, a really great learning experience for all of us in the team. Well, it's a you know really interesting way of getting to market, like you say, and, and getting people to to really sort of understand the value of the platform. And you know, there's been some, as you say, some pretty big partnerships. So people like Stuff Magazine and even McDonald's at the end of the last year. Um, what what were you doing sort of the trial with uh, mobile payments within McDonald's? So that's a, an, an ongoing trial at the moment, <clears throat> and uh, we're we're pretty excited about how that's gone. Um, and what we were what we were trying to prove to McDonald's with this proof of concept to show that there is a way to actually process a payment at the point of sale that is as quick, if not quicker, than a, a traditional card or cash payment, remains cashless, uh, which is of course attractive for a variety of reasons, and then gives McDonald's a new channel through which they can communicate with their customers. So that those. Uh, those objectives all being achieved simultaneously are, are pretty attractive. Um, so what we did is we put some infrastructure into each of the, well, 12 McDonald's outlets, which is uh, the number of outlets that we currently have running with this trial, uh, to show, uh, just to basically prove the simple point that people are willing to pay for their burger in this way. Mm. And once they, once they are, um, then, you know, the door is open to communicate with them in other ways through the platform. No, it's it's really interesting. I, I think increasingly we're seeing the actual payment part of it being the almost the the backdrop for a much broader experience, aren't aren't you? So opening up that dialogue with the McDonald's and McDonald's customers is a sort of a, a deeper relationship with their their customer base, isn't it? Which is which is fantastic. Yeah, that, and that's exactly the thinking. I mean, if you if you think about a transaction in the context of the digital economy now, it's uh, it's the same as a chat message. It's moving bits and bytes from one place to another. 
Um, and it actually is part of communication. It's, it's really the same thing. So how you leverage that in the greater context of communication between two parties, whether it's person to person or person to customer, I think there's some really interesting developments that we'll see in the, in the next couple of years in that regard. And you guys haven't just sort of kept it to payment services, have you? There's a, sort of a whole raft of other things that uh, WeChat has launched within South Africa. So we've seen delivery services, aggregation services, and, and actually even a, a music streaming services. Is that right? Tell us a little bit more about those. Approaching the problem that we faced in the same way as we did with Cliff Central, we found partners who had interesting services um, that wanted to work with us where we could showcase what WeChat as a platform was capable of. So the the on-demand delivery service called Pickup, uh, we launched in partnership with them. And what it really was is a way for you to uh, set a, um, a pickup spot for a parcel or an item uh, that you need moved from one place to another. Um, you get quoted in real time and you get a real-time view through the app of where the person is that's uh, going to be picking up your package and delivering it to the destination point. Um, and then, of course, the payment is processed in real time as well. So that was a pretty successful uh, launch for us. And that business has since been invested into by one of our partner companies. And, you know, we're uh, quite excited about what the future holds for them. And then the music streaming service that we uh, launched and partnered with called Licky, which is an Afrikaans word that means song, um, is, a, is, a, is a fascinating idea. It's a company called Niche Stream, and they've uh, approached the music streaming market, which is highly competitive, with this idea that there are niche audiences that would want uh, highly specific content uh, streamed to them. Uh, so instead of going with uh, the giant record label approach. They've gone with all the independents and then found niche audiences through which they can deliver uh, streamed music. And, uh, you know, we've partnered with them because I think that that approach, that business model is particularly of interest in the African context. We have pretty much greenfields opportunities when it comes to music artists and multiple languages and cultures that need uh, servicing. So I think it's a, that, that was also a, a great experiment for us and a, a great way to showcase um, another type of functionality that we can deliver through our platform. And it really feels like it's um, aligned to the, the WeChat strategy, doesn't it? It feels like it's part of the being everywhere and, and being involved in everything. It um, you know really sort of feels like uh, the, the last three examples, it, it's just amazing what you can do if you really think about everything in a, in a platform way rather than just product silos, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this is what we were trying to do is stimulate that exact kind of thinking. You know, the idea is not for us to go and partner up with every single person that wants to launch a service or whatever it is on WeChat, but just to show how it's done uh, so that other businesses um, and other corporations and other services figured out that this was a cost-effective a brilliant way to actually deliver a mobile service without necessarily incurring the cost of building a mobile application. Now that's great. What um, I, I guess a lot of what we've spoke about, and bringing this back to, uh, to, to payments for a second, um, a lot of it that we've spoken about has been sort of in border. But how much do you think um, cross-border remittances is going to be important, I, I guess, within the African context, but also for, for WeChat more broadly? 
Um, look, it, it, it really comes down to the territory, but from an Africa perspective, uh, it, it's a, an obvious problem that needs solving. We have a, a massive uh, diaspora of um, migrant workers across the continent. Um, and so we think that this is something that has definite relevance for us on the African continent. Um, we haven't launched any cross-border remittance services as yet, but I believe that the opportunity is clear, specifically because many of the traditional players that are moving uh, cash around uh, from country to country, because there is such a low level of competition at the moment, um, they're, they're taking margins that I think are unnecessary. And I think that, you know, of, of all, uh, the people in Africa can uh, ill afford this. So we're hoping in the future to be able to provide services that um, that compete with these at more realistic costs for the end user. I've seen um, you know Africa described as a, a, a mobile-only continent uh, rather than just a, a mobile-first continent. So what implications does this have with regards to, I guess, the, the strategy in which WeChat is playing by? It's such an exciting continent to be working in from a mobile point of view for this exact reason. You know, it's it's so interesting speaking to technology startups and tech businesses from first world environments and their, their thinking of Africa as uh, a complex and problematic place to launch products in because of the lack of infrastructure. But in reality, it is wherein, uh, it's, it's therein that the opportunity lies. You know, so if you think about the fact that Africans will never use fixed line telephony because it's unnecessary, they've completely leapfrogged fixed line telephony directly into mobile. And by the same token, you know, what you said earlier, a mobile only continent, the first computing device and the first experience of the internet that most Africans will have will be through their mobile phone. And if you can think of your product through that lens, uh, the opportunity is massive because you don't have legacy infrastructure, legacy value chains, legacy problems to solve, and you don't have legacy platforms to convert to mobile, which I think is one of the biggest challenges that existing businesses face. If you start out by thinking about how you would deliver a mobile-only service and forget about everything else, it gives you this laser, laser focus on how to actually deliver a service in the best possible way for the end user. Looking at I guess back in your your career and you know from building computer games to working at Nokia and, and now at WeChat, what advice would you give somebody who really wants to get into what we'd call fintech? Maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. I, I have to say, I mean, I, I've I've grown up uh, being fascinated by technology, and uh, you know, it, it was conscious choice um, that drove me into the mobile industry, and and I, I've tried really hard through my career to stay at the cutting edge of where development is is happening and where it's shifting. So, you know, when I was at Nokia, I was focused on hardware. I was a, a device product manager. And, you know, after that, I ended up at, uh, and for many years, at Samsung. And there I ended up working on the software side of platforms um, because I understood that this is where the real shift and change was happening. And now I think the opportunity is in fintech, but <clears throat> wow, it's complex. Uh, the, I think if anybody wants to get into fintech, I would say do as much research as possible and understand the regulatory complexities. This is the single hardest part of getting involved in any fintech environment, any fintech startup, 
is the regulatory frameworks are different in every single territory, and it's extremely hard to get around those. Um, so you end up working with partners, and they're typically partners that have an incredibly strong foothold in whatever territory it is you're working with. And so you have to figure out how to build really effective partnerships. And this is, the I would say, probably the best way to approach it. But just brace yourself. It's, uh, it's highly complex, um, extremely competitive, and you're dealing with um, you know, uh, dozens of 500-pound gorillas um, who all have very long-standing, experienced businesses in whichever territory you move into. And uh, you know, working against them, I think, is uh, it, it's tough, really, really tough. Um, so finding, finding out how to work in the most effective way together with them in partnership in the same way we've worked with Standard Bank, I think, is the most effective route. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good advice. It's a, um, it's a big, hard challenge, but um, it's a, a challenge nevertheless, isn't it? So uh, I guess one, one last question before we go. So we always like to ask what's the sort of one golden rule that, that people sort of live by. So what, what's, the, what's the single rule you, uh, you live your life by? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm highly motivated by learning. So I, I carve out time every single day to to make sure that you're learning something new about the industry that you're in. I think you know there's a lot of talk these days about uh, the exponential uh, advancement of technology, and we all know that we're facing a world with change that's accelerating. And the message there for me is extremely clear: if you're not consciously figuring out how to learn. And, and in fact, increasing the amount of time you spend learning about new technologies and how things are changing every single day, you ultimately will, will be left behind. There is no other way. So for me, it's just learn something new every day and make sure it's significant. Great. That's uh, fantastic advice. Keep learning, everybody, and, uh, and you never know where you'll get. So, Brett, thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate you spending the time. Mm, thanks for having me on the show.